Well, we are starting fasting and prayer, 21 days of fasting and prayer tomorrow. If you haven't already eaten your, your last supper, <laughs> your last supper tonight, but if you haven't, then enjoy it later on. But no, not everybody does a, a, a full full fast for 21 days. We understand people have to, there are those that, that labor and work and, and uh, all of that. So if you have any questions, please let us know. Um, we are available anytime to answer any of those questions. We want that time to be a successful time for you and a time of growing and receiving revelation. But that's what we're going to talk about tonight uh, is, is fasting and prayer and what we can get out of that. And we're going to go deep tonight. Say, I'm going deep. So I want to go to Matthew 17, verse 14. Matthew 17, 14. And while you're turning there, I'm just going to pray for myself, okay? <laughs> Father, give me clarity as I speak tonight. Lord, I pray that, that everything that you would have me to speak, everything that you would have us to undig tonight would come through with clarity, with understanding, with knowledge, with anticipation. Father, that, that we would glean from the revelation of heaven. Lord, that you would instill in us understanding and revelation so that we can apply it into our lives. Lord, that this time of, of the next 21 days will be the best time of prayer and fasting that we have ever had. Lord, I pray for mighty revelation upon your children, upon me, upon uh, Pastor Brad, upon every person of this congregation, every family. Lord, I pray for increase over this time. And we pray for, for just uh, the wisdom from heaven in each and every situation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Matthew 17, 14. And I will be reading out of New King James this evening because there's some scriptures that, that tend to get a little bit changed depending on the translation. But I, I wanted to use the New King James this evening, so if yours is a little bit, it, it might be a little different, you know, depending on where you're, where you're reading from yourself. But verse 14, and when they had come to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to him, saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? Some versions say um, unbelieving, unbelieving generation. How long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you or stay with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? Now, I want to stop here for a second. Because in verse 17, he immediately says to them, faithless and perverse generation. Now, we, we tend to think of perverse as something uh, very, very wicked, evil, uh, and, and what he's, the, the translation that he is really meaning here is twisted, twisted, wrong thinking, 
So whenever we're talking at ab about perverse, he wasn't saying, you know, like perverted, like how we would say it in, in our culture, in our time. Perverse, twisted, wrong thinking, you're looking at it in error. You're looking at it the wrong way. And of course, he's saying to them, faithless, you faithless generation, how long do I need to stay with you? How long do I need to put up with you? How long? What a rebuke, you know? What a rebuke to, to have the master look at you and say, you guys are faithless and, and you think the wrong way. You know, here was this father, he, he needs uh, this, this breakthrough with his child and, and you're going about it the wrong way, you're thinking the wrong way and, and you're not full of faith. You're faithless. And so, you know, they, they ask him later, and they said, why could we not cast it out? And so Jesus said to them, what does he say to them? Because of your unbelief. Because of your unbelief. For assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Now, I know most, most people that preach this message preach it from the standpoint that this kind does not go out, meaning the demon. This type of demon does not go out except by prayer and fasting. But I want to stop and I want you to slow down for, for a minute and, and let's look at this and let's think this through. Because this whole time, he's talking about a faithless, wrong-thinking generation. You're thinking, you're, you're, your thoughts are not right concerning this. You're, you are not full of faith. And it says, because when they asked him specifically, they come, why could we not cast this out? And he said, because of your unbelief. He didn't, he didn't sit down and say, well, guys, here's the deal, you know. I know that uh, I gave you all power and authority back a few chapters in chapter 10. In fact, let's go, let's read that for a second. It says, and, and this is chapter 10, verse 1, and when he had called his 12 disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. Now, he had given them the authority to do that, Correct sends them out, says, go, go heal the sick, go cast out demons. But guys, I forgot to tell you, there's this one really big bad demon that you can't cast out except by prayer and fasting. He didn't say that. Guys, I kind of withheld some information. No. He, he talks a whole paragraph about being not full of faith and not thinking right and unbelieving. So the real issue here is a lack of belief, a lack of belief. And before, before you, if, you know, you're like, well, you know, that's not the way I've been taught. Let's, let's go through it a little bit. Because when we look at, uh, some versions say, you have little faith. And that little faith, when you look up the word little, what it, what it is is like faith that doesn't last. In fact, you have little faith. In Hawaiian, it would be like saying the small kind, small kind faith. You know, uh, they have a, a word in Hawaii that's manini, very small. 
because it's a type of fish that you would, it wouldn't fill you up, manini. So faith, it's not, it's, it's not enough for that day. It's not enough of a meal. It's manini kind of faith. It's small, so that it's, it's not enough to fill you up and to make it last. Small kind of faith, little kind of faith. So what he's saying is you, you, you had the faith just like the seed that was sown into your heart where you received it with joy and you were excited, but then you go out and the things of the world all of a sudden <gasps> suck, suck the, the faith out of you and you're looking at it going, I don't know about this. I don't know. I don't know if I can do this. I don't know. And, and you start looking at yourself going, am I sure he gave me authority? Am I sure? Missouri, what about this one? This one's, this one's a little more of a challenge. We haven't come across this one yet. And so he said, you got to be filled up in faith where there's no belief or no unbelief. No unbelief. And in fact, the, the reason that I want to go through this is it's not because, it's not because, you know, through prayer and fasting, well, I'll tell you why. Because we can go through this scripture many times and say, well, we, we don't have that kind of power except through prayer and fasting, and I can't cast out certain types of demons unless I pray and fast. But that's not, God's not withholding certain types of power. What the problem is, is our position in Christ, our position in our understanding, in our belief, and in our understanding of his love towards us. So I want to get into that a little bit deeper because if we're, if we're fasting for the wrong understanding, then we're not going to receive that breakthrough. If we're fasting thinking God's withholding power from us and God's withholding certain giftings from us, then we're fasting with the wrong mindset. So let's, let's uh, dig a little deeper here. In fact, that little faith is also described as someone that is dull dull to hearing the voice of the Lord or disinterested in walking intimately with him. Now, that's interesting because don't we all get a little busy sometimes? And then we try to ride on our own strength. And we try to ride on our own knowledge or on our own experience or on our own, uh, you know, yeah, I got this, I can do this. Or yeah, I, I'll, you know, I'm, I'm going to go in and I'm going to, I'm going to do this thing. But maybe the Lord is telling us a certain way to do something, and we're not paying attention. Or He's, He's telling us, you know, you heard testimonies this morning of, of, of things happening in people's life because they got a specific word, because someone supposed spoke a specific word, because Stephen went in and 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 would would talk with Stephanie, just cry out to the Lord, He's ready to save you, He's ready to save you, and He would put things on a person's heart for a mission but if we're close-eared if we're not listening then we miss that moment and someone's life could go down a wrong path and so God wants us to be intimate it's not just about gaining power it's about intimacy it's about uh, having a relationship with him so he says dull to hearing the Lord's voice or disinterested in walking intimately with him we're lacking confidence or trusting too little now here's the thing the apostles found themselves in this position of they knew because they had already been given the authority right we just read that he sent them out with the authority and, and told them to go cast out demons 
So they knew they had the authority, just like many of us know certain scriptures and know what we're supposed to believe about ourselves, right? But actually believing it can be two different things. And I believe what the, what the disciples found themselves was in this position of knowing but not quite believing. And it wasn't that they didn't believe in God. It wasn't that they didn't believe in his power or the power of Christ, but they were in unbelief that God was going to work that through them. And it's the same thing with us. If we are going to grow in the things of God, we've got to understand our identity in him. We have to understand our position. We have to understand our sonship in him. And if that is taken from us, it will steal our purpose, our mission, our identity, and it will, uh, the lie that, that God doesn't love us enough to give us that is what will reign in our mind and in our heart. So we have to make sure that we're not in that, in that, that place of knowing, but just not believing enough. Too little faith. Now, if you also look at that scripture, think about it. Why would Jesus, he, he's going, you faithless, perverse generation. How long do I need to stay here and be an example and show you and teach you? How long do I have to explain this? How long do I have to continue to, to teach you, to mold you? Now, he's talking about faith, and he, the, whole, the whole passage there is about faith, about not enough faith, not enough belief. Now, if it had to do with this kind, this demon only coming out except by prayer and fasting, why would he be so upset with his disciples if the disciples of John and the Pharisees came and said, why, why aren't your disciples fasting? Let's read, let's read that. Let's go to Mark 2. Verse 17. Nope. 18. The disciples of John and the Pharisees were fasting. And then they came to him and said, Why do the disciples of John and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. So why would he be so upset with the, with the disciples if this kind only comes out except by prayer and fasting? But yet they're not supposed to fast yet. They cannot fast because they're still with the bridegroom. But they will fast later when I'm taken from them. So we have a dilemma here. Why would he be so upset with the disciples if they're not yet supposed to be in fasting? Because it's all about the presence. As long as he was with them, his presence, the very presence, Emmanuel, God with us, was walking with them. He was, he was providing for them. He was the father to them. He, he, he provided the food. They didn't have to worry. He was teaching them. He rebuked them. When they did things wrong or whenever they needed taxes paid, he said, go out and, and get a fish. There's going to be a gold coin in a fish's mouth. 
Everything was supplied, taken care of. Every decision, situation was dealt with by the wisdom of God. His presence was with them at all times. They lived in his presence. And so he said, now's not the time for them to fast. They're with the bridegroom. This is a time of celebration. How can you fast for something that you have with you at all times? The very essence of heaven is right here with them. How can they fast? Because right now is the celebration time. Right now they're in the presence of God. And so he says, but there's going to come a time when they will fast, when I'm taken from them. So that implies that when Jesus leaves, then there's going to be some things that are lacking in their life. Now, we know the Holy Spirit comes and lives within us, but there still has to be a drawing unto God. There still has to be a a time when we consecrate ourselves. There still has to be a time when we're pushing the plate away and feeding the Spirit and growing in the Holy Spirit and our sensitivity to Him. Now, it's interesting because He even says... As he's talking here, he says, no one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment or else the new piece pulls away from the old and the tear is made worse. And no one puts new wine in the old wineskins or else the new wine bursts the wineskins and the wine is spilled and the wineskins are ruined. But the new wine must be put into new wineskins because new wineskins stretch. They haven't been dried up yet, so they have a, 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 an expandability, whereas old wine skins don't expand. So when the new wine is put in, and of course there's gases that build up, and as those gases are expanding, it causes the, the wine skins to expand. If it's a new wine skin, it will expand with the, the juice that's in it, the wine that's in it. But if it's new wine with an old wineskin, it will bust. Same thing with material. Uh, A new material put on an old garment that's been washed and dried and and it's it's already uh, shrunk. I did this one time. I made a quilt and I, I, I sewed all the pieces together and then I put a backing on it. Well, the pieces had never, had never been shrunk, but the backing had. So the, we used it for a while, and then it, it got dirty, and so I put it in the washer, put it in the dryer, and guess how it comes out? All the front is like, and it's all like, what's that, shriveled up, and the back's not, and, and it looked horrible. I don't even think we have it anymore because <laughs> it literally looked horrible, and that's what he said. He said, you can't take the new and put it on the old. And so he's saying that to us, there's a new, a new wine coming, which is the Holy Spirit. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is that fermentation process in us. He wants us to expand. We've got to be moldable. We've got to be expandable. We have to be ready to make changes. We have to, even though we may have our agenda for the day, and he steps in and says, "Uh, no, I I need you to go over here, but I got to shop. I got to get the groceries. No, you need to go minister here. No, you need to give to this person. But I was, I was going to use this money for this. No, I need you to give it into this family. 
We've got to be expandable, moldable. Our character has to be changeable so that he can mold us like his character, groom us to be like him. And so this fasting process helps that because we're, we're growing in him and we're becoming more sensitive. His spirit is telling us how to, how to chip off the hard edges, how to take out the, the junk that doesn't need to be living there, how to uproot the things that have been there because of our family tree or because of the things that we've been taught, whatever it may be. And he's saying, this is not beneficial. You need to pull this out. And I need to plant my patience, plant my love, plant my joy. You need to understand the revelation about me. You need to understand the revelation that when I'm with you, you don't have to have anxiety because everything is going to work for your good. So we have to be expandable, moldable. He said, I can't take the new wine and put it on an old religion, an old system. It won't work. We can't take the blood of Jesus Christ and take it into an Old Testament setting because it won't work. The Holy Spirit is not to be contained by a tabernacle built with man's hands. And he's saying the way that I need to operate in these latter times, in these latter days, is not to be contained by an old system, a religious system. That was there for a time, for a purpose, but now there's a better way. Now there's a new way, and I need to dwell in the hearts of men. Hallelujah. So he wants his presence to be with us. So there's also this, this it's interesting because he's talking, you know, about fasting. The days will come when they will fast. And then he goes right into this, and no one sews a, a new piece of garment onto an old piece and, and putting new wine into an old wineskin. It's like, what do, what, what's going on here? But it's like he's saying there's a, a new way coming because the old the old testament way of of fasting was sackcloth and ashes a lot of repentance which i'm not saying that we get away from repenting for things that we need to repent of and change because i just talked about that but what i am saying is there's a better way because we're the righteousness of christ now on this side of the cross we have the blood of jesus christ so we can, we can go further. We can do greater. We have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of us. So this new way of fasting is about our identity and knowing who we are. Because as soon as we understand that position, then we gain power. And it's not for power's sake. It's because he's raising up sons and daughters to know who they are in Christ, to bring his kingdom down to earth. Let's turn over to Luke 4. Are you following? Luke 4. Because the thing is, just because the disciples were in his presence, think about it. Thomas was in his presence. Judas was in his presence living with him, but they still doubted, and Judas betrayed. So just because someone is in the presence doesn't mean that there is belief. 
or it doesn't mean that there's there's this automatic changing that happens. People can sit in the presence of God. You can tell in a service who is receiving and who is not. You can tell in a in a service when when people come in. Sometimes they're, they some don't receive at all. They're there to just critique. You know, I'm here to critique and I'm I'm here to judge. <laughs> you know? And then there's some that are like, I am hungry for God. I'm here to receive from the Lord. So there there's a just because the presence is there doesn't mean that it automatically changes a person. So that's the thing. We have to be in a place where we're willing to change. Okay, look for. Luke 4, it says, And then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And then in those days he ate nothing. And afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him, saying, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment's time. And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give to you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then he brought him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you. And in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It has been said that you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune, a more opportune time. Now you can see here through all three of these temptations, he says, if you are the son of God, command the stone to become bread. And, and a lot of times people look and say, well, he, he's just hungry. He's just being tempted in, in his flesh to eat, to receive bread. But there's more than that going on because the, the enemy's trying to trying to mess with his, his position. If you're really the son of God, do this work here. If you're really the son of God. And so he's challenging him. Now what happens if Jesus decides, okay, I'll take your challenge. Stone, become bread. But that wasn't what God wanted him to do. It was totally out of pride. You see what I'm saying? Then there's sin that enters, the sin of pride. What the enemy was trying to get him to do was to stumble in his identity. Because whenever we say, oh, he doesn't really believe me, you know, and I got to prove myself, then what happens is we're not even ourselves where we should be in our understanding of our position. Because the enemy 
shouldn't be able to move us from our position with a challenge like that. You see what I'm saying? Just like Jesus said, I only do what the Father, what I see my Father do. Because there's a purpose and a mission for him. But it's not directed by the enemy. It's directed by God. And so the enemy's trying to get him to, to stumble and trying to, the same thing he did with Adam and Eve. You know, he goes, are you sure? Are you sure that God said this? You know, God just doesn't want you to be wise like him. And, and gets them to question their, their sonship and the love of the father. God's withholding something from us. God doesn't want us to have uh, all the wisdom. Well, maybe we should then because I want to be wise and step outside of the boundaries that God had established. And so Jesus had to, had to make sure that that was replaced again. He had to make sure that that boundary was moved back into place. And the position that we have in Christ, the sonship that we have in Christ is moved back into the right place. Not moved out here because someone, someone challenged us like a, a second grader. That, oh, yeah, prove it. Prove it that you're this. Prove it that you can do that. Prove it that, that you know karate. You know, I, I did that one time because my, my cousin was a, he was a soccer player in like second grade. And, and I never played soccer in my life. But I was, I, you know, I was like three years older than him. So I felt like I should be smarter and should know everything more than him. So I'm like, that's not how you don't kick a soccer ball with the side of your foot. That's dumb. You know, and I'm like trying to tell him how to play soccer. And I don't, I don't have a clue. And like he, he's on teams and, and is coached and all of that. And I'm like, you're not kicking it right, you know. <laughs> but it's, it's. Jesus here is being challenged and being questioned in his sonship. And even in, in with the, you know, it, if, you'll just, if you'll just bow down to me and worship me, I'll give you all of these kingdoms. I'll give you the authority. Well, Jesus had authority, but he didn't necessarily have, I want to word this right. Adam had given the authority of the earth to me or to to uh, the enemy. So the enemy is called the God of this world. So technically, yes, the enemy, Satan, does have the authority over the earth. The only way we can bring kingdom business is by becoming a child of God and allowing him to work through us, just like Jesus did. He came into earth, and then he allowed the Lord to operate through him, the Holy Spirit to operate through him. That's We have to follow the same way. The only way the kingdom of God gets established here on earth, it's not because God just wants to come down and, and just take over kingdoms and just do whatever uh, he wants to do, which is what most people think. Well, God can do whatever he wants to do. He's sovereign. But he can't go against his own justice system of what he created. And right now, the enemy, the God of this world, has blinded the eyes of the unbelievers. And so we understand that the enemy is the God of this world. But we have power over the enemy because something greater rests on the inside of us. It's not an outward kingdom. It's a kingdom that lives within you. And so we have to know our identity and our under our sonship in, in God, in God the Father.
Now, if we move outside of that because of fear or because of pride or because of insecurity or comparison, all of these things, then we lose our position in that because we're not going about it the right way. And that's, that's what Jesus was saying. He was, you know, he's got to understand, like, I do have all authority, but it's not, in, it's not for me to, to handle it this way. Even in Matthew 28, when he said, the all authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. And I give you that authority. But the thing is, the authority rests in us. It's not a physical authority. It's a spiritual authority that is much greater than a physical. So if we don't understand that, then we'll fight for our physical authority. And it's, it's also important to understand, this is before the miracles of Jesus. So you realize, like, he hasn't done his ministry time yet. He's in the desert being tempted if you're really the son of God. It's not like he's already performed all of these miracles and healings and signs and wonders and going, Satan, you know I am. I've already done all this. He's just now coming into that, and he hasn't started the, the signs and the wonders and the works yet. So he's in this position knowing what, what God the Father has for him, but the enemy's trying to trip him up early, trying to get him to cross that line. And every time he comes back with Scripture, and he doesn't fall for it because he understands who he is. He understands who he is. And so uh, listen to this, because... The thing is, the enemy a lot of times wants us to focus on the doings instead of being in Christ. Trying to prove ourselves, I'm going to go into this fast and I'm going to come out with power. But if we're focused only on the power and not in the understanding of who he is in us, wrong motive. Why? Because if you go around with the power, but if you find a place where the enemy can trip you up because of pride, because you have the power, and you don't understand your position, you can fall. You see what I'm saying? So it's like the sec your security in Christ has to be grounded. So when Jesus was tested, he was being tested in his character. He was being tested in his identity. He was being tested in his sonship. And he passed every test. And then he began his ministry. Then it says he came out with power. Power comes from knowing our identity. Power comes from relationship. Power comes from knowing your DNA in the Father. And sometimes, how many times do people go into a fast focusing on the power? Focusing on the gifts instead of focusing on the relationship and focusing on God. What, what do I need to understand about my relationship with you, about my, my sonship with you? What you think towards me? Let me read a little bit because I, I wrote some things down that I felt like I, I wrote better than, than what I could explain. Lou Engle said this. He said, one of the, the great lies in Satan's arsenal is to convince us 
that God loves human doings more than human beings. You want me to read that again? One of the great lies in Satan's arsenal is to convince us that God loves human doings more than human beings. And many times we'll place a, a lot of emphasis on, well, God only loves me if I'm doing, if I'm doing this, if this is manifesting out of my life, if this is going on, if I'm doing this ministry, if I'm, if I'm performing in this way. And we'll go after the doings instead of the being. And the being and the understanding of his word operating in our life is what brings the doing. So it's more important that we focus on the being in him. Because it's exactly where the disciples missed it. It's because the enemy came in through unbelief. Because unbelief, the unbelief could have been anything. It could have been pride. It could have been insecurity. It could have been, I'm not sure of my sonship. I'm not sure that he, he really has given me authority with this. I'm not sure, you know, I don't feel that worthy today. You know, I got a little mad at Peter last night when he flared up again and had something to say, and I kind of snipped at him, and the Lord's probably holding that against me. I don't feel that worthy today. So maybe God's not going to work a miracle through me today. Whatever it is. I mean, we do these things to ourselves. Well, I don't feel like I'm, I'm uh, sin-free today. So I can't do this. I can't do that. I can't pray. I don't feel like I'm, I'm worthy. And I, so I'm not going to go to church. I'm not going to minister. I'm not going to pray with somebody. You know, I, maybe I should have led that person to the Lord, but I didn't feel worthy to. These things that come up because we don't understand our position in him. Is this making sense? Okay, I'm glad because I was like, God, there's so much here and I want to get it out, but I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to communicate it well. All right, listen, if our acceptance is based totally on performance, we are building a foundation on sinking sand that will never last. We will only be worth something when we feel that we are doing enough and at the right intensity. We will be focused on what others are expecting and how we are perceived by them, which will always change depending on their moods, their temperaments, and their degree of expectation, which is a recipe for pride, insecurity, fear, anxiety, comparison, slander, and ridicule, etc. This is how these things enter in. But, so how do we need to go into it? This is what Jesus knew that we've got to know. If our acceptance with the Father is based on love, on love, and that's going both ways, love being received as the recipient and the giver back. Okay? It's a two-way street. It has to be. Because someone, someone can understand that God loves them, but then go way over here to this side and think that God never expects anything from, expects acts of love from them, and they'll never do anything for God. But here's the thing. When we understand that God loves us, then we naturally want to do. Right? Okay. So if it's based on love... 
we cannot fail because love never fails. If my eyes are set only on him and not on not on the temptations, not on the, the words of the enemy. If you're this, if you're really that, then you'll do this. You know, you, if you're not doing this, then you're not good enough. If you're not, if you're not uh, able to do this, then we know that you're not really a Christian. You're not really favored by God. You're not really, if all the situations around you aren't perfect, well, then God must not be for you. Like all of this stuff that we can get in our head. If my eyes are set only on him and not on the voices, not on the temptations, not on the, the enemy's uh, voice, and I am confident of his love concerning me, that will cause me to respond to his requests and the desires for my life. So if I know and I'm confident as, of his love toward me, then I'm naturally going to respond to his requests and the mission the desires that he has for me, so I will respond to him. Love casts out all fear. So if I'm in love with him and I know he's in love with me, what does Jesus do? He says, it, it said so many times, he healed them because he was moved with what? Compassion. Compassion. What's compassion? With passion. With passion. This, this whole thing ministered to me as I, was, as I was, like, digging into it. With passion. Think about that. With passion. Well, what was passion for? You. He was moved with passion. What was he passionate about? Was it about his fame? Oh, awesome. Here, I can do another miracle. No. With passion. Passion for you. You heard this morning. You heard testimonies this morning. Each one, God was, I mean, it was, it was amazing to hear. God located people individually and made sure something happened to save a life. With passion. Why? Because he loved you. Not just all of humanity, but you. If I know that and I'm confident of his love for me, I will live to please him, not others. My sights will always be set on his ways. And if I read something in here and he tells me, you got to start doing this, well, then I, then I got to start doing it. Why? Because I love him and he loves me and he has the best for me. This is why, this is why people don't walk in, in certain areas is because of fear. And they get their eyes set on the wrong thing. This is why people don't tithe an offer. Why? Because they're afraid that they're going to not have enough money and that God does not love them enough to provide. Everything goes back to love. Love casts out fear. If I know that he loves me, then I know that he's going to take care of me. And because he's asking me to do this in his word, then I'm going to do it. When he tells me to give my 10%, I'm not going to fear I'm going to do it because his word says it. I know he loves me. When he tells me to, to love that mean person that, that just snapped at me or my employer that's not being very nice, and he tells me to love him anyways, then I do it because I know that I, my love is not coming from my employer. It's coming from God. My identity is not coming from how my employer just shunned me and made me feel like dirt, but instead my identity comes from God. Everything comes back to love. So I, my eyes will be set on him, his ways, his mission for me, his pleasure, who he says that I am, 
and what he says I can do, even if I don't think that I'm able, but if he says I am, then I'll do it. Because I am confident of his love for me, I do not doubt his inheritance for me or that he's withholding his gifts, his goodness, or his grace for me. Love requires my eyes to stay on him. I want to give you one more scripture. And here's another one that might be changed a little bit depending on your version. But in Psalms 32, verse 8. found this a couple weeks ago and it really blessed me. It says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. And I thought, Lord, how do you guide us with your eye? Because not all versions say that. And I think honestly it's because they didn't know how to they didn't know how to translate what was going on. Because a lot of them are switched to he will he will watch over us with his eye. I will guide you with my eye. You know that relationship that you have with someone that's close, especially your mom, and your mom gives you the stink eye, and you know you better like shape up. You better sit down. You better get in your seat. I remember one time there was, we were in church um, uh, years ago, and there was friends of ours. They had, they had four little girls, in, and they were sitting on the front row, and the parents were sitting further back. Well, the little girl, the littlest one was, you know, kind of turning around in her seat, and she's, like, not paying attention. And, you know, she's completely turned around and looking back at mom, and, you know, and, and the mom is like, and she's like giving her this eye, and so she's like, you know, and she turns around and sits down because she knows, she knows if she doesn't do what mom says, she's going to hear about it after church. <laughs> but it's like that eye of mom that all she has to do is give you a look, and you know what it means. But then there's also the eye of communication that, and especially I, I saw this a lot in, in Hannah because Auntie Sonia communicates a lot with her eyes, doesn't she? And, you know, and she's just like, she'll, you know, and you'll, you'll know like she's wanting you to look over there or whatever it is. And, and it's like this eye communication. And you know what she means. And you know what, what it is that she's wanting you to do. And I thought, you will guide us with your eye. That means there's such intimacy it doesn't even have to be spoke, but I know what you want me to do. And I know when you want me to stay away from something, and I know when something displeases you. Because the other, the other, um, the other words for that was the, your presence, your appearance, your look, glare, forehead. Isn't that funny? Someone's forehead can communicate a lot, can't it? <laughs> whether they're, they're stressed, they're angry, or they're happy. Confidence, whether they're pleased or displeased. I will guide you with my eye. And I thought, that's, that's intimacy. 
to know where to go, what to do, when to back off, when to go forward, because we're so close with him that we're guided by the, the smallest impressions, the things that we know will please him and displease him. And some of that stuff just comes from knowing his word because this tells us his character. It's not just all uh, done through prayer. It's done by reading his word and knowing what pleases him and what displeases him, what, what his covenant is about, what's going to bring blessing and what's going to bring a curse on our life. So we know by reading this and understanding his character. So what does this have to do with prayer and fasting? There were things that the disciples needed to understand around the realm of unbelief. And it really had a lot to do with their sonship and their identity. Whatever was going through their mind, whatever, whatever was going through um, the enemy talking them out of this miracle, of questioning between knowing, knowing what God has told me, knowing that I have authority, knowing this is what the word that was spoken to me, but yet I don't quite believe in this situation. Knowing what I'm supposed to do, but not quite having a heart belief. I believe we need to be in this time of prayer and fasting, gaining a heart belief, gaining a heart belief. Because we've got to be close with the Father in knowing our, our identity, our sonship. We've got to know who we are because unbelief, get this, this is, this is really a strong statement. Unbelief is a harder thing to dislodge out of the heart than a spirit, than a demon. Because there are some things you can stand up here and preach week after week after week, and, and, and people can go amen, but if they're not applying it in their life, there's an element of unbelief. And they could be here for five years and still not be operating in certain things. Why? Because of fear. Well, I'm afraid if I step out in that, God's not going to provide. Or God's not going to send this. Or I'm not going to be covered. Or this isn't going to happen. What if I step out? What if I'm humiliated? What if I'm not enough? What if I don't get the resources? What if I don't have, have this or that? Whatever it may be. Whatever the enemy, the enemy says, oh, you're not good enough. The enemy says, oh, are you really? You really think that you're a child of God that can do that? All of the lies. What the enemy is doing is he's trying to plant unbelief. So that's really what it comes down to. So during this time of prayer and fasting, that's one of our prayer points we need to have. Father, uproot any unbelief out of my heart because everything I do depends upon my belief and my faith in your word and what you've told me to do everything. Because I, if I believe in the perfect love of you, and if I believe that you love me and I love you back, and I'm responding to your love, and I'm responding to your call and your, your promptings, then perfect love casts out all fear. And I'm going to walk in anything you tell me to do. 
And I'm not going to allow unbelief in my heart. I'm not going to allow it in my mind. If a thought creeps in, I'm going to kick it out. I think Miss Beverly said one time, over a certain situation, certain thoughts were coming in. She said, I had to be like a bouncer at the door that kicked every, every thought of fear or unbelief out every time it, it came. And that's what you got to be like, is a bouncer at the door. Uh, let, let me check your source. Who sent you? Oh, hell? Then go back to hell. You can't, you can't let it in if it's not from God. So unbelief goes. Unbelief goes. So besides just knowing God's will, you got to believe. You have to believe it for your life. You have to believe that he loves you. So if, if that's, that's a hard point, then, then you focus there over these next three weeks. God, show me your love. Show me the height, the depth of your love, the width. Give me revelation of your love. And even if you already have a revelation of that, show me greater, Lord. Help me to love greater. Help me to love you greater first, and then I'll be able to love others at a greater capacity so that I will be established in everything that you've called me to be established in. And when you tell me to do something, I'm not going to walk in insecurity or comparison or fear or think that, that, that something else is, is calling me and identifying me because I only get my identification from you, from heaven. In Jesus' name. Refuse to fear and believe in God's love for you. Have faith in his love because God is love. Did you get something tonight? Okay. Okay. It's a little, a little bit deeper, but man, I really feel like there's a A foundation there of major strength. If if you can focus there, then it's not it's not seeking power. Power comes from this place. And it comes naturally because what happens is you're moved with compassion. And you're moved not because of someone else's situation or what they've said, or that you m are moved by the heart of God. Amen. Lee, why don't you come to the uh, keyboard, please. First John 5, 4 says, whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith, our faith. That's the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Unbelief is really the enemy. And a, and a lot of times we try to uh, hear people go, well, I just, don't, I just don't believe in that or I just don't, you know, we'll make excuses or whatever for unbelief. But God, God looks at unbelief as as a sin and it it's the thing that you see through scripture that angers him and that's exactly what happened there with Jesus oh faithless perverse generation how long am I going to have to stay with you 
What happened when he was asleep in the, in the boat? And they wake him up. And he's like, you have little faith. Do you not understand? This is just nature. The very, the very essence of heaven is living in me. You are in the presence of God. But what happens is when the presence isn't manifesting, that's oftentimes when we begin to doubt. What happened with John the Baptist? John the Baptist went into prison. Well, then he was no longer able to be around Christ or to see what was going on. So he sends his disciples and he says, go ask him, are you really the Christ? Are you really the Messiah? Because my neck's on the line and I did all of this and, and I need to know. And he began to question. And what did, what did Jesus say? Tell him that the lame walk, the blind see, the dead are raised. The manifestations that begin to happen. And that's often what happens is unbelief begins to set in when the manifestations aren't happening. But it doesn't, it doesn't mean that your sonship should be questioned. You stand according to the word of God, not the situation. 